T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here. Nate Geary in the driver's seat. Hour two of Sports Talk Saturday coming your way now, and we're headed to the Western Hotline. And to join me is Antoine Staley. Antoine is the Jets reporter and columnist over at the New York Daily News, and he's here to talk a little Jets. But he also used to cover the Dolphins, so I've got an opportunity to maybe cross-train uh, cross him here and talk a little Jets and Dolphins with Antoine. Antoine, thanks so much, man, for joining me on your Saturday afternoon just prior to the first college football game of the year. Uh, I know as a Notre Dame fan, we got seven days until their big game next week against Ohio State. Uh, but some good football nonetheless on today, Antoine. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just excited to have football on the, the tube again. And, you know, one, definitely want to watch this Nebraska-Northwestern game in Ireland. It's uh, like it's a beautiful scene out there. Yeah, that stadium is super cool. Um, I don't – I, I, I got to say, I don't think I've ever seen a stadium – as unique as this one, where it kind of is like a horseshoe almost, and um, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be a good scene today. Uh, I bet on the game because it's the first college football game of the season. Where I'm supposed to do not bet on it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you got to you got to get some action on there, especially uh, with it being the first weekend of the season. So, but that's the, definitely the one to get get some action on. Yeah, plus, you know, I'm ready for Scott Frost to cost me money. I mean, it's it's I, that's when you know college football has officially started when Scott Frost. Yeah. <laughs> so, listen, Antoine, I know you had a chance this week to uh, be out at Jets camp. And uh, overall, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, kind of what the vibes are uh, as this as the preseason is winding down and the regular season is in full focus. Um, is Joe Flacco set to start week one? I, I think so. Uh, although, like, I think Robert Sala is kind of keeping it close to the vest right now. Uh, he's, I mean, Zach Wilson is walking around uh, pretty well right now. He hasn't practiced with the team yet. He's doing some rehab stuff on the side. But, you know, it, he, he has two weeks to possibly start practicing. I, we'll see if he can possibly ramp it up next week. But I, I think if he does not practice any time with the team next week, I think Joe Flacco is probably – least going to start against the Ravens and then we'll take it from there. Flacco has been, you know, getting the first team reps for a few weeks. Uh, I think the players are really comfortable with him and I don't think they want to rush that Wilson back too quickly. Uh, They definitely want this to be a one-time thing and hopefully Wilson plays uh, 16 games if he ends up missing the first game against the Ravens. So, I mean, what is your overall thoughts? What's your overall evaluation of how Joe Flacco's looked in the preseason and practice? Um, you know, I think from from some reports I've seen, you know, this is a guy that I think is steady. And at this point in his career, I, I don't think anyone's expecting Joe Flacco to, like, push 
um, you know, Zach Wilson for this starting job or to win a starting job if he plays well in week one. But um, I do think that there is a level of, of veteran presence there in that locker room and on the on the practice field. And, you know, hearing from guys like, you know, Elijah Moore and hearing guys like Garrett Wilson talk about Flacco um, and the way that he throws the football and, and, and how he can, you know, take a little heat off the ball and throw with a little bit more accuracy and touch. Those are... You know, those are quotes that stand out to me. And I, I don't view them, Antoine, as like shots at Zach Wilson in any way. I just think it goes to show you the difference of a guy that's been around the league for 10 years um, and a rookie that's still kind of learning his way uh, around trying to be the best quarterback possible. Yeah, exactly. I, I think people, when I asked the question, uh, the Garrett Wilson, I think people just kind of blew it up out of proportion. I, I was just curious to see, you know, as far as like their command in the huddle, uh, obviously, you know, the the way they threw the football, things of that nature. Yeah, and I mean, Flacco's been elite for 15 years. Yeah. I mean, of course, he's going to be have some veteran presence and do some things definitely than Zach Wilson, who's still learning and didn't even have a full season last year because he ended up suffering that injury. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the players feel comfortable with him, with Flacco. He brings the coming present, at least that's what a lot of the players have told us. And, you know, Zach Wilson is still learning and growing in this league. And, you know, they hope that he can, this year can be the year that where he can start to show some signs, sort of what, you know, you're familiar with uh, with Josh Allen, yeah. where he struggled his first year and then the second year turned to, started to turn things around and the Bills ended up reaching the playoffs. Antoine, tell me a little bit about this run game, and and I think you know maybe on this is this and this is social media, um, so take take of it what you will, but you know seeing all the carries from that Atlanta game from Brees Hall, and the thing that stood out to me wasn't like ooh Brees Hall struggling, it was I wonder if this offensive line is going to be able to create enough rush lanes for any running back, whether it's Brees Hall or Michael Carter, um, to be successful this year, and and in in, in Brees Hall's rookie season, um, I think there are pretty high expectations that this is a running game that needs to get going to help its young rookie or young second year quarterback yeah I think now with the, they got Dwayne Brown is um, gonna play on Sunday against the Giants I think that certainly helps now they have all five of their offensive linemen ready to go and trying to build that uh, continuity and chemistry and I think you'll start to see a little bit better you know holes being created and uh, production from the Jets there yeah I, I think Brees Hall I definitely think uh, he's a guy that can possibly, you know, compete for the offensive rookie of the year, at least in the AFC. I think he's definitely that good. And, you know, to be able to go over a 1,000 yards, I know he'll share some carries with Michael Carter, who the Jets ended up taking last year. But I think Brees Hall is definitely going to eventually be the guy. I mean, he can do everything you want in the backfield. I think he would have been a first-round pick had teams valued the running back position this upcoming year. He can obviously stretch the field with his, uh, with his speed, also catch the ball at the backfield. I mean, he's going complete running back. It's just a matter of, like you said, the offensive line creating holes for him and him just being patient. I have no concern about him at all. Uh, it's just getting that offensive line all in the same place, especially now with Dwayne Brown starting camp a little bit late because of his signing. Antoine Staley here on the West Her Hotline. He's a Jets beat reporter and columnist for the New York Daily News. We're talking a little Jets. We'll talk Dolphins in just a second here, but I did want to you know, kind of get the overall vibe, and I, and I chatted with Connor Rogers earlier this week from Bleacher Report and you know we didn't really dive into kind of like what's next for Makai Becton um but you know I think it was a really important season and I think he knew it was an important season he came into training camp with a renewed sense of urgency you could tell he'd worked hard this offseason to drop and cut some weight but not just cut weight Antoine gain some muscle he looked like a different player and obviously the unfortunate knee injury happens he's going to miss the rest of the season like in your estimation like what's next for him 
I mean, really just trying to remain, you know, compete as an NFL player. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's, it was a critical year because, you know, his third year in the league, he missed so much time last year. And also, this is the year before they decide have to make a decision on his fifth-year option. Now, obviously, now with him being out for the season, there's no chance the Jets are going to pick that up. So now if you're betting, what you have to do is say, you know what, I know the option's not going to be picked up. Let me just, you know, try to get as best shape as possible at one time recover from this knee injury. And it's going with a new sense of like, hey, if it's not the Jets that I'm with, you know, after 2023, then you're competing and you're showing teams, other teams around the league, your film and what you can do so you can stay on the NFL roster. That has to be the mindset for him moving forward because I don't know what his future may hold for the Jets. And I, also with the Jets now, you'd have to know that you really can't rely on Kai Benson because of the injuries the last couple of years, so you may have to take a flyer and well, some one of these young players coming out in NFL draft next year. Yeah, Antoine, I, I, it's one of those things where you feel bad because he's a young player. He, he kind of understood the situation that he was in. This was a franchise, I'm sure, right up until they brought that card up on stage to draft Sauce Gardner. You know, Ikki Aquanu was there on the board. Evan Neal. Yep. Um, you know, I'm sure this is a franchise that looked long and hard about taking one of those guys and ultimately, you know, made the decision to go with with Gardner. But, you know, I, I think if you're if you're if you're Joe Douglas, are you looking back at that, maybe regretting um, not taking one of those top offensive linemen in the draft, knowing that, like, hey, best case scenario, Mekhi Becton is, you know, maybe a guy that you can move over to the right side. Like, whatever the, the situation may may have let out, if if had they drafted an Evan Neal or an Iki Aquanu, do you, do you get the sense that, like, this is a franchise that maybe wished they had gone a different route, a different decision early in that draft? I don't think so. I mean, we're talking about the Jets who had a lot of holes to fill uh, throughout the course of the offseason. And pass defense was definitely one of them. They've done a good job with that. I know they end up signing DJ Reed and, of course, Jordan Whitehead. And they get LaMarcus Joyner back. But they needed that corner to kind of solidify their uh, secondary and feel like Sauce Gardner is the guy to do that. Now, yeah, they definitely could have taken the tackle. That certainly would have helped the offense. And, you know, everybody's so offensive-centric uh, nowadays. But I definitely think they needed to uh, provide, you know, some help on that secondary considering how poor they were. And you have to remember, Robert Sala is a defensive guy by trade just because he's a former defensive coordinator. So he's going to want to do things. He's going to lean a little bit more to that side of the ball. And he felt embarrassed last year. You know, considering, you know, that's his background that, you know, the defense was so poor. So he take, he takes a lot of pride in that, and they're trying to get that fit quick and in a hurry this year. Antoine Staley here from the New York Daily News on the Western Hotline. We're talking Jets, and now we're going to talk a little Dolphins. And, you know, I made the mistake yesterday, Antoine, of saying something nice about the Dolphins and saying, you know, that I thought that this might be the year that Tua really is better uh, than Mac Jones. And, you know, Dolphins fans took it as an opportunity to to go way over the top. Big shock. Um, but in, on a serious note, you know, like watching – how, watching the struggles and hearing the struggles, and it's not just with our own eyes, Antoine, with the New England Patriots. It's their beat reporters, guys that have been around that organization for a long time talking about the very real struggles this franchise, this organization is having during training camp. Um, do you get the sense that like this is the year that the Dolphins are firmly overtaking the New England Patriots in the division? 
I, I think I, I think we started to see that last year a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they did yeah. beat them twice, but of course the Patriots still made the playoffs. But I think what's concerning about the Patriots is not even just Matt Jones; it's the offensive line and it's how poorly they're playing. And then we know Matt Jones is not necessarily the most mobile guy in the world. So if he if they're not getting a ton of protection, then he's going to be in big time trouble. And I think we kind of saw that last night against the Raiders team, who you know, quite frankly, the Raiders don't necessarily have the best defense in the world. So if they're confusing Matt Jones in that manner, then just imagine what some of the other teams mm-hmm. like the Bills and the Dolphins who have better defenses or work on it or what they're going to do and uh, once they play those teams. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's up to two. It's, that's what it is. Like, the Dolphins have a really good defense. They surround them, you know, with, you know, a countless amounts of talent. They've improved the offensive line, the running game. I, I think it's up to him to just be consistent. I mean, they don't need him to be, you know, a top-five quarterback, uh, although Dolphins fans will tell you that he has the potential to do that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and I think they need him to be just above average. And then also to compete when – Pressure is on. Like I feel like Tua has kind of let down the last couple of years. Last year, the Tennessee Titans game and the freezing rain. You know, he had one of his poor, one of his worst performances of his career, and then flipped the page the year before that against Buffalo, as you know, ended up throwing five interceptions when they had a chance to make the playoffs. So he has to be able to play better in those critical situations if the Dolphins are going to take that next step and reach the playoffs for the first time since 2016. Yeah, and and obviously this week too, hearing about Mike Isecki. Antoine and, and and kind of their their struggles to find a place for him in this offense. Um, is that maybe come to a surprise for you? I mean, this this is a guy that I think um, that you know this franchise obviously placed the franchise tender on him this year, um, wanted to keep him around, didn't want to lose him for nothing. Um, but I think everybody kind of knows that Gasecki is really kind of a big slot. He's not a traditional tight end, not a guy that can line up in line and 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 be a reliable blocker. I you know obviously part of this part of the answer to this is they went out and they signed Cedric Wilson, um, a guy that I think that they really want to lean on in the slot. Um, like, do you get the sense that maybe they're going to have a tough time finding a way to get him on the field, knowing that they like Durham Smythe a lot as the traditional inline blocking tight end? Yeah, I, I, I never that would have made sense to me why they would want. I mean, franchise tagging them, it did, but I thought they would do it in order to make a trade because he just doesn't fit the system. Like, I mean, we know that. Like, there's certain systems that certain tight ends fit, and we knew what uh, Gasecki was when he came out of college. I was still covering the Dolphins then, and it was questions about his blocking. But you accepted it. Like, you can line him up in the slot. He's not your traditional tight end. He's not Gronk. He's not George Kittle. So he's not. that's just not his strength. And, you know, you come over there, you, you have Mike McDaniel come over from San Francisco. He likes the more inline tight end that's going to be able to block while also, you know, catch the ball out the backfield. And as you alluded to, they have they already have weapons offensively. They don't necessarily need another one. They just need they need somebody that can, you know, provide some blocks while also, you know, catch, uh, making occasional catches. And that's just not Mike Gusecki's strength. It's matter. I mean, he might have got – he's gotten better with blocking and things of that nature, but he's never – going to be a George Kittle and that's fine but he just doesn't fit what they want to do so I think you know you're at a crossroads that do you want to continue to you know keep a guy where he's not a great fit or do you want to move on from him I, I just thought that they would franchise tag him in order just to, to trade him somewhere so they would get some type of value for him instead of just letting the walk with 
but they could get a uh, compensation pick for him if they would have let him walk. But, yeah, he just definitely doesn't fit what they want to do uh, with that offense. Antoine, expectations for the Bills this year, kind of looking at the rest of the division. I, I, I you know, I, I think I would agree, too, about the Dolphins overtaking the Patriots in the division right now for second place. But I'm I'm definitely not there yet on them uh, maybe competing with the Bills for the division Ooh. race. Um, I do I do think the Dolphins are are, are maybe due for a win against the Bills this year. Um, but I, I, I just kind of keep thinking of the historic matchup since Josh Allen's been drafted. And even in the losses early in Josh Allen's career, it was very obvious um, that Josh Allen played his best. And whether it was the matchup, whether it's the guys on that defensive side of the ball, but all of a sudden, you know, X Howard starts looking a little bit more pedestrian. Uh, their pass rush gets a little, like, you know, wide-eyed and like they're a deer in headlights. Josh Allen has had their number. I, I am wondering kind of what your overall thoughts are about where the Bills place in this division is and and maybe how close the gap is between them and the Dolphins. <laughs> until until proven otherwise, yeah, it's the Bills and everybody else. Like, I, I saw the only game that the Dolphins beat Josh Allen, I mean, in the Bills, and then if it wasn't for Charles Clay dropping the ball right. in the end. Yes. Like, they'd be perfect. he'd be perfect against the Dolphins. Like, that's it. And even in that game, like he put that team on his back and damn near almost um, had a comeback on it, on us on his hands. So yeah, they've struggled to be able to contain him outside the pocket, inside the pocket. Uh, to me, I think the Dolphins can make the playoffs. So we'll see if they can in a very difficult AFC. But the Bills are a Super Bowl contender. I think for me, I think they're going to make the Super Bowl. I think they're they are the team to beat in the AFC. I feel like the holes that they had or the questions that they had throughout the course uh, last year they filled that they got in another corner they they also provided some you know, structure with the running game and get some depth there I love the uh, James Cook pick there to take some pressure off of Josh Allen there so he doesn't feel like he has to do so much running the football I, I think they are a complete team and for me like I, I, I think it would be a disappointment if they didn't they didn't reach uh, the Super Bowl in Glendale Arizona I think they're that good and I just think it's their time I think they've gone through some struggles and some heartbreaks the last couple of years losing to the Chiefs but I think they will be able to overcome that this year and uh, persevere. And I think, like I said, I think they're the favorites to come out the AFC at least. First of all, Antoine, uh, I'm you know I got Fox on the TV here as the as the pregame, and it still just seems weird to me to watch Urban Meyer on television. Um, but the other thing that and and I got to get your take on this. I don't know if you've seen it. You're, you've been on with me, so I'm not sure if you've seen the. Uh, it's going to end up being viral, but it's uh, Des Howard, and he shows his playoff pre- bracket pr- prediction uh, by the end of the season. Who will be in the college playoff bracket? Um, do you dare dare to take a guess on? Well, I, I think you might know if it's Desmond Howard, which team he for sure has in that Final Four, Michigan. Oh, yeah. Michigan. Uh, come on, um, but. The other three. Now, Texas A&M, I think that's a team that has a legit shot to be there. But they're going to have to go through Georgia and Alabama first, so I'm not totally convinced that that's going to be a, you know, going to be there. But Baylor and Pitt are the other two teams. Texas A&M, Pitt, Baylor, Michigan has Final Four. Is that the ultimate preseason college football bracket of four for the college football playoff? I mean, that, there's no way that's that's rooted in any sort of reality, right? That that might be the first Final Four I've ever seen. Yes, <laughs> like the like one of the worst I've seen. Oh my god! Like really? Like yeah, I had, I did not see that at all. That that might be the worst one I've ever seen. Michigan is probably the best team out of all of those. A and M, I'm not buying the hype. And then they got to go to Tuscaloosa, yeah. and you know all that trash Jimbo Fisher was talking about saving. Uh-huh. Like, 
he he's gonna remember that. Like and and they beat they beat Alabama last year too. So just keep that in mind. I, I think it's gonna be a bit of a thrashing there in Tuscaloosa when the Aggies come to town. So I'm I, I'm not buying that at all. I think you know for me if I had to pick right now it definitely be Bama. Uh, I like Clemson. Uh, I think Clemson's gonna rebound Ohio State. And then another wild card. I, I will throw this out there: uh, Utah. Utah is a team that I think you know could reach the college football playoff if you know if things go right there. I feel like they can go undefeated and you know win the Pac-12. But yeah, they would be my wild card. But yeah, I, I think Pitt. No, nah, I can't. Say. I thought he was going to say my. He was going to say Miami because he lives in South Florida, which I was going to say that that was ridiculous too. Yeah, but they got a lot of NIL money there, bro. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe not this year, but it's kind of a if not now, when for Miami. I know I'm surprised, Antoine, because I thought you might say Tyler Buckner and Notre Dame would be in your top four, but it's okay. You know, I'll give you time to warm up to my to my Irish after they beat Ohio State Week One. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that that pass for this week. I like Marcus for I think he's going to do a fabulous job there. He's already uh, recruiting at a I think even a higher level than Brian Kelly did. Not that Brian Kelly did a bad job, but I think he's going to bring in different type of recruits and I, I think Notre Dame is going to, you know, cross that threshold and, you know, possibly contend for a national championship. Like like I mean they've been doing that under Kelly, but it's just a matter of winning a playoff game, but I think Freeman is the right guy for the job and they made a great hire with him. Antoine, I appreciate you, man. Enjoy the college football slate today. Uh, let's do it again soon, and uh, enjoy the season, man. We'll uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right, Antoine Staley there, the New York Daily News. He covers the New York Jets uh, and is a great guy. So if you don't follow him on Twitter, make sure you do that. All right, we're going to take a timeout on the other side. I've got Mark Schofield, my man, the man, the myth, the legend, Mark Schofield. We're going to talk some Patriots. Antoine agrees that the Miami Dolphins have overtaken the Patriots. And then yesterday, Mac Jones threw an interception into quadruple coverage. So we'll talk to to Mark Schofield. Is this all over? Are we all overreacting? Is it just, is the, are the Patriots just going to find a way? T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Patriot way. Mark Schofield will uh, will give us insight. That's coming up next here on WGR.
Okay, we are officially halfway through Sports Talk Saturday, and uh, my next guest is kind of the perfect guy to bring in to help everyone better understand and maybe maybe we even say slow our roll a bit on uh, the concerns and the general... Do we call it? Do we call it hate? I don't want to say hate. the The general jumping and stomping on the grave of the New England Patriots. I think that's kind of what everyone is doing. And listen, mighty holds the right. What is it? The the mighty is the weight that holds the crown, or whatever the head. Or there's a saying, Mark. You you're 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 a former practicing lawyer. What what's that saying? You you know law. Heavy is the head that weighs. Yes, yes, see, yeah. that's, yes. That's, that's that's the phrase. And listen, if you want to say hate. I understand. I mean, I, I understand where that sentiment might be coming from, from the Buffalo area over the past couple of years. I more than appreciate what Bills fans are feeling right now. They're feeling, they're feeling a sense of pride because they're looking around the NFL landscape. Not only do they see that on almost sort of any you know, odds board, the Bills are your odds-on favorite, uh, Super Bowl favorites. They're also looking at what's happened in New England. And yeah. there's another word, Schadenfreude, right? Which is uh, sort of <laughs> taking pleasure in the pain of others. I think there's a bit of that going on, too. I think that's right. And and I think, you know, this is a unique season, Mark, with the expectations here in Buffalo. Um, knowing that there are teams below them sort of, you know, nipping at their heels, and I think maybe most notably the Dolphins, but... I think part of one of the I think part of the toughest thing to do is fully bury the New England Patriots, right? To to say they're dead is one thing, but to believe it and really like bury it and move on from it, I think is a very it's it's a very it's another thing entirely. This preseason, you know, kind of walk me through from the time that Josh McDaniels leaves to where they are now. Where has been the notable improvement to you? And and is there, and has there been, and if there's not, is that kind of the thing that maybe everyone is, is maybe if they don't want to admit they're worried about it, but it's sitting in the back of their mind wondering, like, when will we see that step from Mac Jones, and is it going to happen this year? Right, and, and there's a lot sort of going on right now, Nate. I, I think, has there been improvement if there has, I don't think we've seen it. Let's, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. Uh, Bill Belichick, after last night's game against the Raiders, came out today and talked about struggles and inconsistency, and whether it was David Andrews or Jones himself. Uh, players were certainly frustrated after last night's performance against the Raiders. Have there been moments? Have there been flashes from what we've been able to see, whether it's in practices, joint practices, or games? Yeah, there's been a couple of nice throws here and there. There have been some nice runs here and there. But I think... There's multiple layers of inconsistency with the Patriots' offense right now. There's inconsistencies with protected Mac Jones. We saw it last week against the Panthers. We saw it again last night against the Raiders. There's inconsistency with getting separation downfield. So when Jones has time, you know, he's, he's not able to put the ball anywhere because guys aren't separated on a consistent basis. There's inconsistencies from Jones. Who, you know, Nate, I, I wrote this today. I've thrown many an interception into double coverage, triple yeah. coverage, even quadruple yep. coverage. Yep. But sextuple coverage, like we saw last night with Jones forcing a dig route in the midst of you know, six defenders, it's not a great look. And so there's that inconsistency right now. Now, are there silver linings for Patriots fans? Of course. It's early. It's preseason. You've still got Bill Belichick. We saw, again, those flashes from the passing game and the run game. 
throughout training cramp, even last night in, in a game where everybody seemed frustrated. But then there's this, and I think this gets to sort of where Patriots fans are right now. In years past, five years ago or so, the idea that Belichick could take September, the first four games or so, as he has done so many seasons before, and sort of use that to figure it out, it was fine. Look around the AFC landscape this year. Mm. Look around the East this year. You can't afford to take September when you face, you know, Miami, who you just mentioned, Pittsburgh. Baltimore, Green Bay, those are your first four games. If you take those four games to figure out what you do well offensively, you might be two and two. You might be one and three. And then when you look around what the rest of the AFC East and the rest of the AFC might look like at that point, it might be too late. And I think that's what's really happening here. It's this idea that the, the way they were able to sort of figure things out in September and into October in years past, it might not be feasible this year to take that time given how deep the AFC is yeah and you know the thing I think about too with this team Mark is you're you're right about it especially in years past even with Tom Brady using the month of September to find their identity but the thing that I think people always want to keep in mind about the New England Patriots is when game plans start to become important which is week one it's not the preseason it's not training camp it's not joint practices that's really where their advantage starts to show, right? When when Bill Belichick can game plan for your young quarterback, when Bill Belichick, who I do think is going to have a big, big part in their week-to-week preparation and game plans offensively, and he may not be the guy in the headset calling the plays into Max Hatt's headset or uh, you know in, into his ear, but I do think he's going to have a large, large say and a large part of what those weekly game plans are and how they're game planning for defenses. Like, I do want to maybe keep, and maybe that's why most people aren't really willing to just say, okay, this team's coming in last in the AFC East, and not only have the Dolphins passed them, but the Jets have passed them. I think a lot of people are going to probably sit in the in the camp of, and I know this is kind of where I'm sitting, which is he. They still have Bill Belichick, and we know the one thing he does better than anyone else, and why he's a Hall of Famer is because of his week-to-week game planning and his ability to change fundamentally and schematically based on the opponent they play that week. Right. I, I think those are all very good points, Nate. And let's not forget, during the Brady run, you know, we heard this from Dean Pease. He was talking with Chris Vassour, Coach Vass on Twitter, and his fantastic podcast about his time in New England. And he said, look, you know, Bill Belichick is known as this defensive genius, and he puts together these defensive game plans that might make their way to the Hall of Fame or are even in the Hall of Fame. But he would spend every practice in Tom Brady's ear. Say, this is what you're going to see from the defense this week. This is what you're going to have to do against this coverage. This is what you're going to have to check to against this front. If he's doing that for Tom Brady, absolutely he's doing that for Matt Jones. And you mentioned the idea that you know he might not be the guy calling the plays. He might be the guy calling the plays. Because he came <laughs> out this week and said, ultimately, look, it all, the buck stops with me. I am responsible for everything. And there's been all this palace intrigue about whether it's Patricia, whether it's Judge, who's calling the plays. Belichick's going to be on the headset. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point he's if he's not saying, look, look, you know, zap to X right, you know, 38 flag or something like that. He's at least saying, look, hit them with the corner out we talked about. Right, that. right. So he's going to have that input in the game plan. You know, he's been doing it for years, even when they had Tom Brady. And so absolutely Belichick's going to have a voice in the offense. What that offense looks like, I think, is the bigger question. 
because we've heard so much, and you've heard so much about outside zone, wide zone, boot action, schematic, schematic influences from McVeigh and Shanahan. The returns on that are not positive. You know, whether it's preseason games, whether it's practices, I've had beat writers tell me it's uglier at practice than people we can even imagine. Do they stick with that? Or do they do what we've seen from them in years past? And even some of their best plays in preseason, it's been spread them out, let Jones sort of grip it and rip it like he was doing at Alabama, get the ball out of his hands in 2.5 seconds or less like they did with Brady. Are they going to keep down this new schematic emphasis road? Or are they just going to say, look, it's not working. We're stunting max development if we keep doing this. Hmm. Let's go to what he does best. Mark, I, I mean, speaking of Mac and speaking of Shanahan, right, like, there was a lot of smoke. There was a lot of, frankly, there was some fire with the Mac Jones to the 49ers, and they obviously go, they end up going with Trey Lance. Everyone knows that how that story ended. Um, but, you know, he ultimately did confirm in a podcast that it was down to Lance and Mac Jones. So to think that Mac Jones could function well in that boot style, in that Shanahan kind of offense, you know, it's not far-fetched. But I'm wondering with, like, is moving around Mac Jones, having him throw on the run and extend plays, is that is that really where you want to be with Mac Jones? Because I know last year the the thing that I think stood out to me more than anything about Jones um, in his rookie season was was really his ability inside the pocket to stay on to stay in phase and on schedule. Um, and we know that the elite of the elite quarterbacks, they can do both, right? Like the Josh Allens and the Mahomes and the Herberts, those are guys that can play on schedule, but it's really their more their most dangerous when it becomes off script, off schedule. And that's just not really where Mac Jones is living. But do do you believe that boot action, that boot game could be a place where where Jones maybe opens things up in his game. I mean, I could he run that kind of system? Could he be effective in that kind of system? I think he can. I think the bigger question is if you're constructing the ideal offensive system for Mac Jones, is that your top choice? And I would say no, it's not. Like if I'm putting together an offensive system for Mac Jones, it's going to be very similar to what you saw from him at Alabama and even at times last year. You're going to spread the offense out a bit. You're going to let him make decisions pre-snap because he's very good pre-snap at identifying mismatches and identifying holes in coverage. You're going to let him get the ball out quickly. You're going to incorporate more RPOs like we saw from Mm -hmm. Alabama. And what's interesting about Mac Jones during his time at Alabama is when they went RPO, obviously, yeah, there's quick throws in there. But a lot of times when they went RPO or even more importantly play action, he was attacking downfield. And what did we hear last year about this Patriots offense? Inconsistency pushing the ball downfield. I think that's a way to give him those shot plays. And so, yeah, can he throw on the move? Yes. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not Allen, Mahomes, Herbert. He's not that level of athlete. He's on the sort of Joe Burrow end of the spectrum when you talk about athletic Mm. quarterbacks. He can do it. He can move and he can throw well on the move, but it's not the ideal system for him. I think the deeper question might be, do you put in place an offense for the one guy or for the 10, because this idea that they might move to wide zone, outside zone, condensed formations, boot action off of it, it might be the best system for the other 10 guys because you're seeing struggles to get separation from the receivers. Well, what do you do? You condense formations, bunches, rubs, traffic, things like that. You can generate separation that way. Outside zone, wide zone, provided everybody sort of figures it out, that might fit your five guys up front. 
What's more important, though, doing it for the one guy, the quarterback, or doing it for the other 10? Now, maybe they think, look, if we put everybody else, the other 10 guys, in the best system possible, Jones is going to be better as a result of that. Maybe that's the bet here. But in terms of purely looking at Matt Jones, can he run this offense, that style of offense, that Shanahan system? Yeah. Is it perhaps his ideal environment? I don't think so. We're going to talk some pass catchers here in just a minute with Mark Schofield of the Touchdown Wire. He joins us on the Western Hotline. Before I do that, I want to talk about this running back room. Um, And, you know, it sounds a lot like Ramondre Stevenson is going to be a larger part of this running game. Uh, We know that that Harris is kind of entering the last year of his contract and and that it's probably very likely he's elsewhere um, next year. But this is also a team that in the fourth round this year drafted Pierre Strong and in the sixth round drafted Kevin Harris. So having guys they've already spent draft capital on and drafting two more and, and, you know, just, just to kind of put this in perspective, um, you know, the bills have been able to draft Gabriel Davis in the fourth round. They drafted um, Khalil Shakir in the fifth round. Um, And knowing the struggles that the Patriots have had at pass catcher, particularly at wide receiver and finding guys that separate, you know, it was kind of a head scratcher to me to see this franchise again go to the well and and take Pierre Strong and then follow it up two rounds later by taking Kevin Harris. What do you believe this room ends up looking like as the season moves on? And, um, you know, is this still a two-headed horse uh, or, you know, two-headed backfield? Or or do you believe that Pierre Strong eventually also maybe uh, has an opportunity to become like the pass catching back in this group? Yeah, I mean, I think Strawn is probably going to be your J.J. White replacement, right? Your sort of third down, you know, up-tempo pass catching type of back out of the backfield. And then at the top, you're going to have that sort of two-headed game with Harris, with Stevenson, because, you know, injuries happen. And I think they they like the fact that both Harris and Stevenson can give them the full complement of what they want to do offensively, inside, outside, wide zone, tight zone, all of the stuff that they do, gap power they can run those designs. And so I think they like their running back room, but we all know over the years trying to predict what the Patriots do with their running backs is one of the toughest things to do in covering their sport because, as you alluded to earlier, Nate, they change so much stuff up from week to week. One week it might be, this is our Stevenson week. We kind of like the way his vision, his footwork fits with what we're going to do this week. Another week it might be a you know, a, a Pierre Strong week. And we've seen in the years past, sometimes it's a J.J. White or a James White, excuse me, or a Rex Burkhead. They change things up so much. And so, you know, I think that's what they, they'd like their running back room. They like the tight ends. Wide receiver has always been a question mark. You know, they can evaluate inside slot receiver extremely well. Outside boundary receiver has been a position that they've struggled at. It looked like Tyquan Thornton, despite – you know, drafted him before George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore. That gave a lot of Patriots fans some heartburn. It seemed like, well, you know, early returns were he's a guy that can get separation on one-on-ones. He can beat man coverage. Now he's on the shelf with a collarbone injury. And so, you know, they like the tight ends. They like the running back room. It's just the receiver component to it still seems lacking. Yeah, and, you know, obviously they go out, they they trade for Devontae Parker, but the thing you you think about with Devontae Parker is where he struggled, and that's creating separation. And I think that's kind of the the issue right now with this Pats group. And it, when you combined, you know, having struggles on the offensive line, Mark, with the fact that you have receivers that struggle to separate the line of scrimmage, it sounds to me like like. You know, maybe this is dramatic, but a recipe for disaster. Um, because when you have a timing and rhythm thrower and a guy that wants to win from the pocket, and you don't have a clean pocket all the time, and you also don't have guys that are immediately separating and creating a a no brainer read for a quarterback, that just 
it it makes it hard for a guy who's entering his second season who doesn't have the experience maybe that a Tom Brady would in that same situation where you have guys and you have those reps with guys that you trust and you know, okay, well, I'm just going to hit this guy in the back shoulder because I know and I know that he knows that when I have pressure in my face, he's going to stem off and he's going to he's going to move to the sideline and make himself available on a back shoulder throw. He doesn't really have those reps with this group and I'm like it just feels like that could be one of the recipes for failure this year. Nate, I know you're going to identify with what I'm about to talk about here because after last night's game, Jones said, you know, when he was talked about when he was talking about the struggles and asked about the inconsistencies on offense, he didn't bring up the interception. He talked about I need to do a better job at staying in the pocket and climbing the pocket and yeah. not just running around back there. Now, why is he doing that right now? It's because of these inconsistencies. Like it is a problem that it has layers to it because. When you as a quarterback, and you know this, you've been there, I've been there, when you're not getting protected, that clock speeds up in your head. Absolutely. You hit your drop depth and you feel like, i got to move because I'm going to get smacked in the mouth yet again, and I don't like it. It's not fun. We saw that last night with Jones. There were times when he could have clicked and climbed in the pocket, but instead, Jones, a guy that, like, as you said, likes to win from the pocket, starts trying to exit out the back door. That's not his game, but he started to do that because of the inconsistencies up front. And sometimes you do that because you hit your drop depth, you start to climb and nobody's open, and you think, I've got to create now. Even Mac Jones is feeling that. So when you get these two layers of inconsistency up front and with the receivers, it has an impact on how you're playing the position. And so it's this multi-layered problem. Now with Parker, you know, there was a, a touchdown called back on a back shoulder throw where he got flagged for offensive pass interference last night. I, I think there's a positive sign there that perhaps Jones and Parker are getting on that same page, but he's, that's a game. You know, it's not separation. It's not quick separation. You're going to need time to get those plays to develop. Even a quick back or shoulder throw, you sometimes need some time to get that pass off. And so, the layers to this are what's most concerning, and we're yeah. you know we're seeing the basic stuff right now. But when there's inconsistency on in the basic stuff, when you start trying to open up a playbook to game plan for Miami in Week One, what's that going to look like? Mark, are you uh, are you part of the the Johnu Smith uh, uh, redemption tour? Are you driving the bus? Are you in the are you in the back? Are you just watching from the parade from the side? Like what's What's his role look like on this team this year? I, I think it's really important they find something for him. I mean, he is making $12 million. Yeah, I mean, they got to find a role for him. I, I, I think there's a couple of different ways they can involve him. We've seen some Y-ISO stuff this season already with him, you know, put on loan to one side of the field. You know, there was a, you know, a sack against Carolina where they ran a sort of vertical concept with him wide open against cover two. Joe just didn't have the time to, to find him. I think also it's important to remember for an organization that, you know, yes, if they continue down this road of outside zone, wide zone, you might not need a fullback, but they moved on from their fullback, Jakob Johnson. Well, but if there could be a role for John O. Smith as an H-back type of player, if they decide, look, you know, we've got to incorporate more, you know, bigger body, bigger personnel packages, that could be a way to get him on the field. But yeah, they have to find a use for him. I mean, one of the, the, good things about him that people liked about him was he's that potential mismatch. And if you're struggling to get separation, that's a way to generate it, get him some mismatches. So I think they have to find a way to get him involved this year. Otherwise, you know, that's a missed opportunity and, you know, potentially a a mistaken free agency. 
Mark, I got one more for you, and it's only because you and I basically exclusively talked about the offense during this interview. So I think I, I, I just like, you know, I'm due to ask one defensive question here. Where, where is the secondary? Um, Obviously Malcolm Butler gets his injury settlement, but I'm, I'm not naive. Like I, that, that's not a guy they were like planning to be their number one corner this year. They drafted a couple of corners this year. What does this secondary look like outside of the safety position, which I think is, you know, in a pretty darn good place for them uh, internally, but it's it's the corner posi- it's the corner position, it's that room. Is this a team that's going to be able to overcome, overcome the loss of J.C. Jackson? You know, that's a tough question. I mean, coming into training camp, secondary, specifically corner, because like you said, Safeties are good. Not obviously not the best group in the AFC East. We know Hyde and Poy are perhaps the best in all of football. But you look at this quarterback group, and I think there were some questions that needed to be answered. I think they've actually answered those relatively well. There's a lot of excitement about Jalen Mills. Everybody I've talked to up in Foxborough said, "Look, yeah, he's our CB one now. Like he stepped into that role. Maybe he's not the player that J.C. Jackson is, but because of the other pieces around him, we think he's going to have a solid year." There's excitement about Jonathan Jones because it looks like they're going to use him more on the outside. In years past, he was sort of their slot guy. He was sort of the guy that, you know, when they played Kansas City, that's the guy that they put on Tyree Kill. I yeah. mean, it wasn't Gilmore. It wasn't J.C. Jackson. It was Jonathan Jones because he handles those twick, quick twitch type of guys. They're going to move him outside because they like what they're seeing from Brian. And they like what they're seeing from these two rookies that they drafted. You know, you've got Jack Jones where they added. You've got Marcus Jones in the third round out of Houston. Jones, obviously, coming out of Arizona State. Those guys have stepped up. They played well during preseason. And so they're going to give them some depth. So I think the cornerback room is kind of, you know, for all the negativity about the offense right now, which is all well-deserved and understandably people are anxious about it, the secondary, the quarterback room, that's sort of come together. There's an expectation that the defense will be good and will be solid enough early, perhaps to navigate some of the early season troubles on the offensive side of the ball. But this is an offensive league. This is a passing league. You have to put points on the board. The days of winning 17-14 rock fights, they're behind us, Nate. This is the 1980s. And so if they can't get consistency from their offense, it's going to be a long year. Mark, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, what do you got coming up? Any 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 cool pieces, podcasts, projects? Uh, usually, you're good for a couple of those uh, a season. Yeah, well, I mean, if the Bills fans want to continue down this fun road of you know hating, you know, taking pleasure <laughs> in others' pain, like I put up a multi-layered piece on this Patriots offense over at USA Today's Touchdown Wire this morning. You could see some of the struggles. You could see some of the the areas where we've talked about this inconsistency. So you could check that out, but. You know me, buddy. I'm always covering the league. And, heck, we got Nebraska-Northwestern on. Yeah, right I know. I'm watching football. It's amazing. You look good. It's fantastic. I know. I, I, I was saying this to Antoine Staley, who I just had on uh, right before you. Um, I bet on this game, and I took the uh, I took the under, and I took Nebraska minus 12.5. So I am full-on ready for Scott Frost to cost me money in August. Like I'm, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. That that man owes me a, a massive appliance. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, like, and and I'm not talking something off the used market. I, I'm talking brand no, new. No, 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 I'm talking like a nice top of the line dishwasher. Or something yes, like that. exactly. Something to make our lives easier. Mark, um, the last yeah. thing I have for you here, though, is you know we have we're we're men of similar tastes. Well, any good shows you're watching right now? I'm I'm in the market. I'm about to finish Stranger Things, and I need something to watch. I. Are you a fan of 
period pieces that have a historical yes. slant to them. Yes. Have you watched Poldark? No. Okay, so Poldark originally was a BBC show that it came to the States on PBS. It's, it's a masterpiece theater kind of piece. Mm. I'm already into season three. I absolutely love it. The premise is this. You know, a, a, an English you know gentleman goes to Virginia to fight for the English in the Revolution. He barely survives a, a brutal injury to his face. And he comes home. His father is dead and left him nothing. The woman that he thought he was going to marry is now going to marry his cousin. And he has to piece his life together coming home from the Revolutionary War. I'm into season three. I absolutely love it. I'm the kind of person that I pick up a new show. I dive right in. Yeah, I'm the same way. Now I'm reading the books. I'm listening to the soundtrack. So Poldark. You can see it on Amazon Prime. Check that one out. I will, and let me tell you, there is nothing quite like Revolutionary War-themed shows and video games for me. Um, so this this is going immediately to the top of the list. See, that's why I'm glad I asked you, because I knew I was going to get something good that I, was, I wasn't going to get something generic like, hey, go watch Succession or something. I knew I was going to get something, right. you know, something niche, and uh, that's what I always appreciate you about, my friend. That's what I'm here for, buddy. All right, my friend. Enjoy your uh, your fo- your first football weekend of the year, and you know I can only imagine how many more times you'll be on the station. We got to start putting you on retainer. Already looking forward to it, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Mark Schofield there on our West Her Hotline helping me talk Patriots. We're going to take a timeout on the other side. We're going to hear from Joe Ostrowski next hour. Uh, we're going to take some phone calls. If you, I know we got Lou who's been hanging out on hold, and I appreciate him for doing that. Uh, on the other side, we'll, we'll grab his phone call and anyone else's phone call. If you guys want to you know, restart the conversation about Matt Ariza, I'm happy to do that. Whatever you guys want to do, I'm good with here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.